All right, church, we're going to get settled in, we're going to get dialed in, and I want to start this morning by saying good morning to everyone, especially the fathers, not that I want to single anyone out or isolate a specific group or demographic, but today is a special day. Mothers already had theirs, so it's okay. (laughs) Ladies first, Um, but happy Father's Day to all you who are uh, blessed to be a father or serve in that capacity I am, and I'm very thankful. I'm certain that many of you are surprised to see me up here today, and I'm thankful, so deal with it. (laughs) Uh, I definitely wasn't expecting to be up again so soon, but I'm always thankful every time I have the opportunity to share God's word with God's people. Uh, I want to start our message off today with a quote, and here's the quote. It's a short quote. Don't scream at the dark if you're not willing to turn on a light. I'm going to say it again, don't scream at the dark if you're not willing to turn on a light. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about or what I just said or what the meaning of it is, is Sean talking about a triple rainbow? What does it mean? Uh, By the time we get to the end of this, if you stay tuned, um, I'm sure it'll all make sense, or at least I hope. This is a short message. Um, As Braden indicated, it's a very special day. We have a shorter message um, to go along with that so that we can celebrate our fathers. Um, But it's, uh, it's a very pertinent and timely message when we look at the days that we're living in today. And what brought about this message is, is, is a comic that I had seen on Facebook that basically triggered me. Anyone here ever been triggered before or familiar with that term? (laughs) If you've ever been seriously annoyed at what at something you've seen or something someone said then you've been triggered so if you're wondering hmm have I ever been triggered before if you've ever been really agitated by something you have and um, I definitely was the the comic was of a boy who was standing at the door and he was wanting a snack and he's given a cookie and his response to getting what he asked for was to be offended he asked for a cookie, he wants or he asked for a snack, he's given a cookie, and he's standing there staring, and he's offended. And this comic kind of really set me off because it's a play on how easily offended people can be and leave it to a child, illustrated in this comic, to show how so many adults behave today. This, isn't, this issue of, of being so easily offended is one that is plaguing our society. It's eating away, if not completely disarming one's ability to use or apply wisdom in a current situation or circumstance. I mean, have you ever felt the pressure in a conversation or in a situation not to offend? It may not be visually seen on your, on your face or on your body, but it's definitely in your mind. And I know I've been in that situation before. But if you're sitting there and you're thinking, no, I can't really relate to that, I would encourage you to speak the word of God every day, and it won't take long. <laughs> Speak the word of God every day, and it won't take long before someone doesn't like what you have to say. Now, I don't have a context verse per se for our time this morning, but knowing how easily offended people can be and how often it's because of pride that the person becomes offended, and in light of the fact that the sermon series we're in is on wisdom, specifically taken from Proverbs, I have a proverb taken from chapter 14, verse 3. And it says, a fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the mouth or the lips of the wise protect them. 
So considering again our current series on wisdom and what the culture is celebrating this month, if you're not fully aware, um, the, the term pride is, is very big this month and it's being celebrated, it seems like, all over the world. And I feel the Lord has placed on my heart a solution for us to consider when we are dealing with this issue of offense and specifically pride. To set things up, I have a question. So, are there any sports fans in the room? Is there anybody in here? Yes, yes. Now, I'm a sports fan as well, and I'm sure if I was to ask you what your favorite team was or what your favorite sport was, you'd all be able to raise your hand and probably list off a player from every sport. You may even be able to list off your favorite position. And if I was to ask you, okay, what's your favorite position on the team and why, I'm almost certain, when I was thinking about this, I started to laugh because I'm almost certain there is a position on every team, it exists on every sports team, that we probably wouldn't hear about. I'm sure someone wouldn't say, oh, this is my favorite position, and the the position I'm thinking about is coach. (laughs) When you're thinking of your favorite sports team or your favorite sports organization, does the coach come to mind? Initially, it wouldn't for me because, you know, we know what makes sports teams great. It's the players and their ability to do great things and rack up all kinds of points or do whatever it is they're doing. But my experience um, being a dad and and being a part of my son's sports team in, in serving at the coach capacity or the coach level, I've definitely grown to appreciate this position and um, I've really grown to, to pay attention to what it is that coaches are are telling their teams, especially when they're successful. And if I was to think of one coach in particular, and I'm going to give a disclaimer here, I am not a New England Patriots fan whatsoever. But they're a football team, and over the past couple of decades, they've been very, very successful. And you really do have to recognize greatness when you see it. So when I look at that team, I think of Bill Belichick, who's their coach. And when he retires, he's going to go down as probably the, the, the most influential and best head coach in the history of that sport. And for good reason, because he has this uncanny ability to turn average or unknown players into a winning team. And it's really unprecedented when you look at the amount of championships they've won. And what, it, it's not that they win so much. When a team is that great, people often want to know why. What is it? that makes you so great, what's the winning formula? Because we want to adopt it. And the winning formula of that organization and that team is, is really simple. You'd think it'd be like a long, drawn-out math equation with all these do's and don'ts, but it's, it's really a simple formula that they always promote and always profess, especially when a player comes in and joins that team. You're coming into our organization, and you need to know this is our priority. And it's do your job. That's the motto that that organization lives by. And that's what makes them successful. Do your job. And it's a simple ask, but when it's not done, major problems arise. If if, If in any sport, if a player isn't doing or they're not willing to do their job, tough decisions get made. And the sad reality is that this situation doesn't just apply to sports team, sports teams. People not doing their job And the consequences that go along with it can be seen in the workplace. It can be seen in the home. It can be seen in the community. And most sadly, it can be seen at times in the church. There are people 
not doing the needed things that they've been called to do and gifted to do when the time comes for them to do it. And I really, seeing as it's Father's Day, I really want the men to hear this. Men, fathers, you know, that role that we have to play, not just in our home, but in our societies and all the other places that we encounter. Jesus calls this out when he says the following in Matthew 21, verse 28, chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. It's titled The Parable of Two Sons. You've probably heard it before if you're reading the Gospels a lot. Jesus starts with, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Sounds like a scene played out in my home all the time. (laughs) Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he said, I will, sir, but he did not go. Another scenario lived out in my home all the time. And my wife would say the same thing about me. (laughs) Which of the two did what the father, what his father wanted? The first they answered, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. And when I read that section of scripture, church, I absolutely love how it starts. Jesus hasn't been in Jerusalem that long. He's been to the temple, and now he finds himself in the temple courts, The word is spread, and the crowd is there. They know what he's been saying. They know what he's been doing, and the tensions are really high. Tensions are high. Jesus had just cursed a fig tree for its failing to produce fruit, and the religious leaders are there to challenge Jesus' authority. Who do you think you are to do all these things and say all these things? Who are you to do the job that is our job? I think there's definitely a reason why Jesus is doing it in light of what the religious leaders and the people of his day are doing. So he starts the parable to everyone listening with this. He says, what do you guys think? And I just feel like when we read that, Jesus is asking us the same question. So for you listener, what do you think? What do you think when you hear this? A man who had two sons, he went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? You know, obedience seems to be a real theme for our message today with Cadence demonstrating her obedience to her Savior Jesus and stepping into the waters of baptism. In this parable, this section of Scripture is speaking directly into that, that subject, obedience, and specifically one's willingness to be obedient, no matter how frustrated or offended they, they are at what they're being asked to do. If you're a child of God, Have you been obedient to the life Christ has modeled and calls us to live? Or does our mouths at times say yes when our actions really say no? That's my problem when I see a lot of laundry on the couch. (laughs) Now, so looking at the things that Christ calls us to do, there are several. He calls us to put him first in all things, God needs to be the center of our lives, the center of our universe. And then he calls us to love our brother, to love our neighbors. 
And then he says, be an ambassador of Christ and the gospel everywhere you go and to everyone you come in contact with. And then he says to disciple others, to be disciple makers. That's a priority for us here in the church because it's discipleship that enables us to walk and overcome what we see in the world today and minister to those who are struggling in it. He calls us to have integrity, to give our time and our ties to the church. And he calls us to seek out what our giftings are and when we find them, those things God has given us the ability to do, he wants us to use them. And he calls us to be bold in all of it. There are many other things that God calls us to do, but that's highlighting some of the the most important ones that, that strengthen the foundation of faith that we have. And the challenge for us is, to think about how are we doing in those areas. If you're like me and you're feeling like you're holding back at times, for me often the reason why is because I have fear in me. And the fear is, is geared at that, that area or that issue of offending someone and it, and it really makes me feel ashamed because I know that when something needs to be done, it needs to be done and it's not because I'm not capable to do it comes to the gospel, are living it out, are living our lives for Jesus, we can't be worried about the thought of being offensive. Because if you're a Christian, offending is going to be unavoidable. It's going to be unavoidable. And why? Because the gospel itself is offensive for those who don't believe. Paul says to the church in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness, for those or to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In the Hebrew, the term foolishness, or to be foolish, is translated as stupid. So to to believe in God, the non-believer would look at you and say, you're stupid. You're being stupid. What you're doing doesn't make any sense. The gospel is foolish. It's stupid. But it's only stupid to those who are dying and those who don't believe. And I'll tell you this right now, those people who don't and are hostile to the gospel, they will have no issue whatsoever telling you that it's stupid. The apostles knew this, but it wasn't a concern for them. They weren't concerned about what people thought because they knew what the truth was. In Acts chapter 4 and 5, some of the, some of the apostles in the establishment of the early church, they were arrested and they were ordered under the threat of violence and death not to speak or do anything in the name of Jesus. And I love how they responded because it's an example for us. They responded by saying, what is right? What do you think makes sense? Should we obey the living God who created all things or should we obey you, a mere man? They said, we will obey God. We will always obey God. Offending or being offensive isn't the motivation here, church. And it was never the motivation of the people in the early church. The motivation was so that people would know the truth. And they were faithful to the truth. And that's what needs to motivate us in how we live our lives today in both word and action. And if you're struggling with this, Are you willing to be faithful? Because there's definitely a difference. You know, there there are things we know that we need to do and we should do, but we don't do them. I mean, I struggle with that. 
Paul talked about it in the book of Romans. You know, there are things I know I need to do, but I end up doing what my flesh wants to do. And man, I hate it because that's the struggle. But Paul's heart was he was always willing. And for us, when we look at what God calls us to do, it's, it's not so much a matter of doing and, and not doing. It's are we willing to do it? Because if we're not willing, then, then we, we're going to come up against some serious problems. In the book of Jonah, in chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are some more than, a hun- more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right, f- their right hand from their left, adults who don't know their right hand from the left, and also many animals. And doesn't that sound like our times today? I mean, you turn the news on, it sure does look like a lot of people don't know the difference between their right hand and their left, and they're doing a whole bunch of things wrong, and they're saying a whole bunch of things that are wrong. And in a month where so many in the world and so many in our culture are celebrating what God calls sin, while at the same time they're, they're condemning what the Creator calls as righteous, they wrap it in a banner called pride also known as one of the seven deadly sins. And and to further the offense to the Christian, their symbol or their their logo is, is the rainbow. That's their symbol. And for the believer who knows this knows the truth of what happened during the Great Flood, we know what the rainbow means. So we can be encouraged. We need to be bold church. People can't tell their right from their left. People in the highest levels of government can't tell the difference between a male and a female. They want to abort the innocent and the defenseless. And oh yeah, it's Father's Day. It's a very special day for men and for fathers. But there is a great movement in the culture that has teaching to go along with it that would see that word father removed from our dialogue as if it doesn't exist. It's, it's highly offensive, and we can't be silent. And I speak to you men and you fathers. Our voices need to be heard, and are we willing to be a voice? Surveying the judgment brought upon a nation who were supposed to be for God. A nation for God. The Lord said this in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 21. Since my people are crushed, they're crushed, and this is the result of judgment, I am crushed, God is crushed, I mourn, and horror grips me. This is God's reaction to what is happening to his people in light of judgment because of their actions, and this is happening to God's nation. When God called the Israelites out of Egypt, they were one. But because of their disobedience and their their lack of, of being willing to do what God called them to do, they became a divided nation. They became a divided nation in two sections. One was called Israel and the other was called Judah. In Judah, that nation specifically was consistently evil in turning from God. They were consistently sinful from the top down, from the king all the way down to the people, and it crushed God. It mourned him for judgment to have to play itself out on this people. 
And when I read that and I look at our current state, I, I, I ask that question, are we mournful? And are we horrified at the state that the world's in and Satan's continued pursuit to remove God from every border? We should be. And the good news is, is that we have a solution to this madness. It's in the job we've been called to do. But there's a disclaimer. So I'm coming back to that quote that I said in the beginning. If you didn't understand what it meant, now's your chance to listen. Don't scream at the dark if you're not willing to turn on a light. We can't sit here and scream at the culture. Krista's always telling me about this. More when I'm watching sports, I'll be yelling at the TV and she'll be like, you tell them, coach. They're listening. They're going to do what you tell them. But sometimes I get like that when I turn the TV on and I see the news. I find myself just screaming at the TV because of everything that we're seeing in the culture. But we can't be willing to just do that if we're not willing to be a source of light in the culture. For the Christian, this is the solution to this offense problem. It's being the light. In Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Major Father theme talk that we're looking at in our scripture verses today. And we can't run and hide. <clears throat> if you're like me and you're afraid of the dark, I was always afraid of the dark and I am a little bit still. <laughs> the good news is as Christians, we're the nightlight. I had nightlights all over the place when I was young and Krista says you still do. But from a faith perspective, we are that nightlight. We just need to turn that light on to live and move in Jesus for everyone to see. It's an example of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, and nobody's alone in doing it. There are many who are turning the light on. They're, they're being willing to say yes to God and to turn that light on and to say, hey, something's not right here. I heard a pastor say in a message I heard recently, um, we are the original trans community. I want you to hear this, church. As Christians, we are the original trans community because Christ has been transforming lives since sin came into the world. Christ has been transforming lives and making things new. And just because the enemy wants to steal and intimidate what God has been doing from the beginning, that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't present and that he's not fully in control. He is. And we have our job to do as well. And he's enabled us to do it. Coming back to the Old Testament book of Jonah, and specifically this place called Nineveh, it was a real place. It was located on the eastern bank of the Tigris River, and it was in a place called ancient Assyria. When you read the Old Testament and the battles that took place, you hear about Assyria a lot. And it, it, today, it's across from the Tigris River in what's known as the modern city of Mosul in Iraq. So if if you're my age, and you can go back to the Gulf War in the 90s, and then in the early 2000s, you would hear that place named a lot. 
Malso is a real place in Iraq, and that's where Nineveh was because it was a real place. It was the home of the king of Assyria, and God called Jonah to go there to warn them that their sin needed repentance, and if not, judgment was coming. And like the son from the parable we read earlier, Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want to do what was asked because he was afraid. To give this perspective, you really need to understand what Assyria was like in those days. It was known for its violence in, in every way. Violence, that every violence you could think of, every form of it, that's what that city was known for because it was predicated by godlessness, idolatry, in extreme perversion. Extreme perversion. This is what the culture was known for. And if you want a more recent, a recent example of what a godless society, a, completely, a society completely devoid of God, I would encourage you to, to research the French, French Revolution and what that country was like because they were a nation at one point that was totally devoid of God and it was awful. It was absolutely awful. Jonah didn't want to speak in Nineveh. He didn't want to go there. He didn't want to shine God's light. And the very fact that God was asking him to do it offended him. But like the son in the proverb, in the end, he still did what God was, wanted him to do. He was still willing to be obedient. And it brought about the salvation and the redemption of that nation for about 100 years. It was about 100 years before that nation turned its back on God and judgment in the form of another invading nation came. I want us here today to be encouraged and to not be afraid, to not be concerned about offending someone with the truth of the gospel. I love this line, facts don't care about your feelings. I mean, that's just the reality. Don't let your feelings get in the way of facts. Don't let your feelings get in the way of truth because it doesn't matter. It's not going to change it. Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 16, when, when dealing with this idea of rejection or, or people being offended and hostile to what you say, he said, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Hear what Jesus is saying, church. They're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting the God that you believe in. The true God manifested and lived out in the life of Jesus Christ. A claim that no religion in the world can make. None. They're all gone. Our Savior, our King is alive. Even though, that, even though what's happening all around the world today can be so offensive... Don't take it so personally, church, that we shut down. That we become a people who is more concerned about what we're saying than we are about the, need, the fact that it needs to be said. Our job is, as it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, walk in the light as he is in the light. And when we do, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So in saying all that church, this is what our job is. This is the answer to this, this offending pride issue that we see in our culture. We know what God calls us to do, but we also need to be very aware of how we do it. 
Because just like every job that is, exists for man or woman to do in the world today, there is a way that that job needs to be done if it's going to be done right. The people we're ministering to, we need to remember that they're also created in God's image. They look like me and they look like you. And we know that God greatly loves them. We know what we're called to do, but we must, we must never forget where we came from as well and who we once were before Christ's saving grace brought the change and the transformation into our life. Ephesians 4 verse 6, 15 says, speak the truth, God's truth, in love. So this means when we're dealing with a non-believing world, we're not arrogant, we're not hateful, we're not judgmental. Now, I want, to, I want you to understand this. You're, you're like, well, Sean, how, what, about, what about God's truth? When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when dealing with non-believers, we share the gospel. We don't force any growth. Now, if there was a believer in the church who was erring in what they were doing and we were, they were saying, then yes, God has equipped us to bring discipline into those areas so that they can know the truth and change from their ways. We're not dealing with that here. We're dealing with non-believers. And in that way, we, we want to not be arrogant or hateful or judgmental. We want to just scatter the seed and remember that it's God who does the work and brings about the growth. If someone is in need, we help. And if they're lost, they can be found in Jesus. We can never forget that. The gospel is not just one person or one people group's gospel per se. For the believer, it's our gospel. It's Jesus' gospel that we promote and, and that we live out. But it's also a gospel for everyone because gospel defined means good news. And it's good news for everybody. So if you know me, and you've known me for a long time, you know that I, I have a family member who is a homosexual. And he's married to someone. And I, I love both of them. I love him, and I love his partner. I always have, and I always will. Um, I remember, and I apologize if I... <clears throat> get a little off here. Um, I remember during the peak of the Westboro Baptist Church movement in the U.S., my brother, oh, there it is, called me, and, he, and, he, and he, he was coming at me with it. He was challenging me with it because of my professed faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and I remember responding to him. I remember saying, you know, if we were there and we were standing in the street in front of all those people screaming that God hated you and that God wanted you to just die so that he could condemn you, I wouldn't stand on that side of the street. I would, uh, I would stand beside you because I love you. And if I had to, I would protect you. Why? Because I know God loves him. He loves them. He loves us. So much so that he sent his son to, to be that sacrifice, that living sacrifice to show that we can overcome 
through his death and resurrection. It's his desire that no one is lost. That is scriptural, church. It is God's desire that no one is lost. But that doesn't mean everyone will be found. To be righteous, God does judge. And one day, he will pronounce final judgment. That's his job, church. Our job is to shine his gospel, to shine the good news light, even when it hurts. Amen? As I wind this up, I have the same prayer request that the Apostle Paul had when he was writing to the church in Ephesus. He asked them in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, he said, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I, may, I will be fearless. I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And the mystery of the gospel is this. You place your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin and rose again because death couldn't hold him down because he's God and he's that powerful. You believe in him, he will save you and he will change your life eternally. Eternally. So in answering this prayer church in being bold in how we live in what we say and how the Savior lives through us, we want to see the same, it should be our heart, it should be our motivation to see the same thing that Jesus or James says he wants to see take place in the world at the end of James chapter 5. We pray this prayer out, we, we align ourselves with Paul and every other believer that we want to be bold and we want to tell the truth and this is what we want to see and it's found at the end of James chapter 5, that many sons and daughters would be saved from the error of their ways and the multitude of sin would be covered by the eternal grace that is found only in Jesus Christ who's our Savior and King. So church, let us make sure that we, men, men and women, but you fathers, let us make sure that we are found doing our part. And I have no doubt, because we see it every day, new members in our fellowship, new members coming into the light of the gospel of Jesus every day, we will see it, and we will be so blessed.